help me welcome back to the CL Bryan Show, Cap Black Nadra NZ. How are you, brother? Happy American History Month. That's my name for Black History Month. And you know what? This is the first day of Happy American History Month. Nadra, was it ever intended for Black history to be carried to the degrees that it's being carried, to be used in the way that it's being used? Talk to us about that. Absolutely not. You know, when Carter G. Woodson created Negro History Week, which became Negro History Month, which became obviously Black History Month, he wanted the nation, and including our people, to know what our contributions have been to citizens. It wasn't meant to be a baseball bat to beat anybody down. It wasn't intended to be a means of tearing down someone else's lineage in order to uplift our own. You know, Nadra, when I think about what you just said, even though, you know, your ancestors, mine, we came here and uh, a little bit differently. Uh, we arrived a little bit differently than the the rest of Americans did. However, once we were free, there was still an opportunity for us to do exactly what the Irish, the Italians, the Jews and anyone else who came to these shores, regardless of how we arrived uh, here. Uh, why is it that we did not follow that example, or you know, Booker T. Washington wanted us to do that. Frederick Douglass wanted us to do that. But there came along James Weldon, you know, Johnson, and and people like that. James Baldwin, rather, and and uh, uh, and Weldon Johnson. Uh, they 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 didn't they didn't see it that way. W. E. B. Du Bois didn't see it that way. Uh, what what was the advantages or disadvantages in the way that we came? Well, sure. Well, firstly, like any group, we had evolved at least two broad schools of thought. And you referenced the, the bookends of the schools of thought. Booker T. Washington on one end saying, get manageable skills, get marketable skill sets, cast your bucket where you are, be like fingers on the glove regarding our white counterparts, but also separate. He left an institution that provides opportunity to this day. Tuskegee Institute, now Tuskegee University. W.B. Du Bois, at least during one phase of his life, felt that the talented tenth of all academically trained black people should, in a sense, be the leadership cadre for the community. And that's what we pretty much see now, because if you go to college, get a profession, by and large, that kind of puts you a leg up over many of your black peers who did not go to college. doesn't mean that that's right, but that just means that this particular perspective has continued. And black progress also, as you well know, was undermined. We had 12 years of reconstruction where we were breaking records in literacy business development elect you know the first black governor of the united you know, state was where louisiana louisiana w b you know, uh, yeah 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 the pinchback pbs pinchback yeah you know? we had congressmen we had senators and this is during right after the civil war however reconstruction was deconstructed jim crow came about all of those inroads were reduced, but still we had a community. And to be quite frank, in political terms, a conservative community. 
you know, when, when people, and it's kind of humorous, but when some of our, our liberal friends, our socialist buddies, claim certain figures, if these men and women could be on the scene today, it is very unlikely that they would identify with a lot of the current causes touting them. Oh, my God, no. You know what, uh, Nadra, when you bring that up, I think about uh, uh, Frederick Douglass or or um, uh, Booker T. Washington being having anything to do with Black Lives Matter. That just was not going to happen. I mean, that, that's just not going mean, to Yeah. We're talking about dramatically different worldviews. And even in their own time periods, Booker T. Washington was considered to be a conservative, a traditionalist. Frederick Douglass was considered to be something of a militant. But both of them were way shores and door openers and rooted very deeply, deeply in the American project. As people who grew up as slaves, they had a greater investment in it than anybody else in making sure that no one was enslaved and that no one would be robbed of the fruit of his labor. And both of them, each in his own way, made tremendous inroads toward those ends. You know, that's why I'm glad, but I know you don't do it, but sometimes some of our advocates like to pit one against the other, you know, Frederick Douglass versus Booker T. Washington or Booker T. Washington versus W.B. Du Bois. At the end of the day, they all contributed to the forward motion that you and I right. enjoy today. Right. But we stand on their shoulders. There is no question Absolutely. about that. And when, we, and when we think about this, Nadra, uh, when we think about this, I'm on with Captain Black, Nadra Enzi. When, when, when we think about this conversation that uh, we're having now, I often wonder why we must attempt to pit those historical figures against one another. Uh, and, and why is it that we misunderstand their mission and their period in time, like you were mentioning, uh, Booker T. Washington, as well as Frederick Douglass, both had been in slavery. However, that mm-hmm. next generation with Dubois and, and them, they were not slaves, but mm-hmm. they were critical of those who had been, but yet had overcome. I don't get that. What do you think? Uh, some people call it the politics of black acceptance. And to be honest with you, any group of people can sometimes be, and I'm not making excuses, just a, a statement, can be critical of members of that community who perhaps had to endure degrading positions in order, see, for, in order for uh, W.B. Du Bois to go to Atlanta University and to go to Harvard, somebody had to pay the price for him to do that. Right. And at that point in his life, he was critical. Now, he died a Pan-Africanist. Right. So, again, when we talk about these figures, these are oftentimes dynamic people evolving and in motion. But the reason why, the one major reason why they did it against each other today is because, once again, whenever there's shortfalls in the American Republic, in comes a liberal with his divisiveness and to take one camp of black people and pit them against the others. I mean, let's, let's be quite frank. 
communists could not have gotten any inroads with Booker T. Washington. No, no, no way. No way would that have happened, nor would they have even invaded the mind of Frederick Douglass. Let's let's take this. Let's kick this up a notch, man, because I think we might be uh, uh, stepping or going into uh, areas where where people uh, seldom talk about as far as it's concerned, Nadra. And when I look at um, how we then have evolved over that period of time, and uh, when I look at how uh, Dubois and, and those people did criticize um, those who came before them, and you were saying that that's a human trait, that is something that uh, we find in our humanity. Where then does the, the church fit in to, to that? Because black people, regardless, they were, well, maybe not Dubois. Dubois was, was somewhat of a, a borderline uh, agnostic atheist, what have you. But, uh, but, but does the church affect that type of thinking at all? Did it? Or did that type of thinking affect the church? Talk to us. Well, just like any other group, we have our classes. You know it, and I know it. And in those days, despite all of us suffering the same stigma of Jim Crow, still we started having rankings among each other. Where you were born, what your hair looked like, what your skin tone was like, did you go to school, did you know your father? And as we were entering the modern era, and as more of us were actually able to go to college and get these degrees that other generations simply would not have had the opportunity to do, a certain amount of elitism, some call it, the, you know, the politics of black respectability. Some of our black nationalist scholars have called them either the black bourgeoisie or the black Anglo-Saxons. But there was a bit of, you know, holding one's nose up and looking down on people who did not have college education. And as far as the church is concerned, the church predated black people going to college, but then... And as a pastor, I'm sure you know, sometimes even black pastors kind of rank each other. Well, did you go to seminary school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or did you get heartburn one day and say the Lord called you to preach? Right, 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 man. Any other group. And people think of us as a monolith, and we're not. While the civil rights movement was going on, there was a black conservative writer named George Shiler. He used to write for the Pittsburgh Courier. You know, you had authentic black conservatives at every stage of American maturation trying to get us to focus on those things that would make any group of people successful, and especially us. And as they were advocating on the right end, we'll say, on the left end, you had socialists, you had communists, you had liberals who were using Jim Crow in the South and racial discrimination in the North to gain inroads in the black community. Because, again, it's never about improving our lot. For the communists, for the liberal, his objective is to use any group to bring down the white middle class, the white upper class, the bourgeoisie, the hated owners of uh, commerce and means of production. We were just a means to an end. 
Let me ask you this then. Uh, when we when we look at then the Rachel Maddows, the Barack Obamas, the Eric Holders uh, that uh, uh, rose up in the world, did they then how how Barack Obama was did, didn't come from money, but he wound up an elitist, uh, you know, and, and that type of thing. Where do these elitists, white or black, Rachel Maddow or or, or whoever, you name them, whoever that might be over there uh, on on that camp. Where do these people come from with that type of ideology? Now, I have people on to talk about this all the time, but I want to get that from your perspective. I mean, let's be very honest. The, The communists knew they could never conquer America by force. I'm going to give you a personal anecdote. My grandfather was a math teacher. My grandfather, like many black students, went to a historically black college and university, an HBCU. These were segregated institutions, not by choice, but by the weight of custom and law. The only white people who would come around were dramatic pause, the communists. My grandfather said he went to a meeting. He saw white women there uh, talking to black men and everybody smoking cigarettes and having a good time. He excused himself. That was the late 30s. He understood that this was, a, was not going to end well. But there has been, see, the, the infiltration of academic and cultural institutions, it didn't start in the 1960s. It just became more pronounced in the 1960s. The Soviets and their American counterparts have been working on this since at least the end of World War One. definitely through the Harlem Renaissance, definitely through World War Two, and they infiltrated, and it took time, but they became successful, infiltrated our black colleges, and eventually even our black churches, our civil rights organizations. And that's why you have such a solidly liberal bent which is why you, as a former chapter president of the NAACP, had the Park Company. You're still dedicated to racial justice for all. You're still dedicated to the rule of law and equality. But you had to look at this and say, this is what I'm fighting for. Right. And you know what, Nadra? We have been co-opted. Yeah. And and you know what, Nadra? Uh, Most people, when they hear guys like you and I talk, uh, they don't understand that we love are people enough to tell them the truth? And, and, and that's all we're trying to do. We're just trying to tell you the truth. And, and to tell you the truth, you have to tell you both sides of it. You have, you have to show you both sides of, of, of the story, not both sides of the truth. There's only one side. There's only one truth uh, when you boil a matter down. It only, it only happened one way, actually. But there are two sides to every story as far as how you arrived there. That's the situation. Absolutely. How you arrived there. Yeah, you, you're the grandson of a mathematician. Uh, you can arrive. You can arrive at an answer differently, whether you're using straight math or algebra, or even a, a, a different equation. You know, as far as um, uh, geometry is concerned, you can arrive at, a, at, a, at an answer. And so, uh, but you're still using math, though. <laughs> so, precisely. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. And, and let's let's use a well-known visual when you see civil rights marchers in fill-in-the-blank city in their Sunday best, by the way, 
being beaten by the police, being water holes, having dogs flicked on them. People say, oh, wow, that was wrong, that was racist. But now the racism of the socialists saying, well, see how they treat you. If you would just go ahead and come along with us, we can overcome them. But the point is, you don't replace Jim Crow, for instance, with Stalinism. You know, you're trading one oppressor for another. And right. the socialists always want you to see the other side as the oppressor and never see themselves as such. And this has become interwoven in the American history of black people because socialists are now using our unique position in American culture gives them leverage. If you think I'm talking about the past, I will refer you to everything that's happened since Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson, Missouri in 2014 on forward to how Black Lives Matter using George Floyd's corpse was able to get Joe Biden elected president. Stay right there, Nadra Enzi. Stay right there. want to come back. And, folks, there might be something about militias that you misunderstand. We're going to talk to Nadra Enzi about that when we return with more of the C.L. Bryant Show. I want to thank all of you for coming along with us daily as we build the bridge to conversation. This kind of conversation you may not even have uh, thought of, but it affects you on a daily basis because there's a certain programming that has taken place here to make you think about, um, you know, things in the way they have dialectically uh, uh, presented it to you. They presented a language. They're presenting a language to you that that so many of you are beginning to speak. Yeah. And so as Nadra was telling you, uh, the communists uh, felt that they could take us without even firing a shot. They just get us to redefine some things. I'm CL. Be back in just a little bit with Nadra. Andrew, Captain Black. I was worth saving. So you came and changed my life. You thought I was worth keeping. So you cleaned me up. You thought I was to die Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot, on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Stand up for America. Then Americans, stand up, stand up, stand up. God bless you. God bless America. Best I can. Always 
CL back with you on this great day in the USA. So glad to be with you here as we build the bridge to conversation over Red State, the largest talk platform in the nation, coast to coast and border to border around the globe. Glad to be a part of the family. If you're traveling through Times Square there in New York City, uh, be sure to look up above the iconic Ripley's Believe It or Not, and you will see the Red State Talk billboard and every hour, 24 hours a day, the C.L. Bryant show does pop up there on that billboard. And I'm glad that the Lord has allowed O.C.L.'s face look there, down at you or at you. Well, it's sort of looking over Times Square uh, every day. Uh, and so we're glad to have you along. Also, we have right now a conversation that's brewing that I really believe you are going to enjoy. At least it'll be informative for you because it'll give you a different perspective. Joining me and bringing back now to the airwaves, Captain Black Nadra Enzim, a good buddy. Nadra, mil, uh, as far as militias are concerned, we talk about militias. Uh, I know most of most Americans, I don't care who you are, but I know they're trying to get black folks when they hear the word militia to think of clan, to think of boogeyman, armed white men with automatic weapons or shotguns. That's what they want you to think. Nandre, give us your take on where we've gone wrong in that uh, uh, visual of militia. Sure, but now. Our conversation is overshadowed by January 6th when a group of idiots invaded the Capitol building and gave to the opposition an example that they will use possibly for the next hundred years. But let's not forget, Militias do not necessarily mean a bunch of angry, armed, anti-government, racist people. That is how liberals have presented the concept. My definition of militia is very different. And consider the SCLC, Dr. King's organization, the Guardian Angels, founded by Curtis Sliwa and some other young people in New York in the height of their crime wave. The man who jumps out of his car to push the stalled vehicle out of traffic. The motorist who stops and jumps on somebody who's beating a policeman to death. The Cajun Navy that came to the waterlogged rescue of people after a hurricane here in Louisiana. These are all examples of militias, meaning private citizens meeting public needs. When people ask for a prayer request, Pastor, and when the faithful come and unite and lift up someone in prayer, that's a militia. A militia does not have to mean the classic paramilitary definition. In these times, militia needs to mean people who unite to do public good. And in some cases, will fill the gap until relieved by the government. Wow. If you run into a burning house and get people out of it, you're not a firefighter, you're not a police officer, but you are a good Samaritan. You have become the militia. 
and you hear someone kicking in your door at 2 or 3 in the morning, and you grab your firearm to defend yourself as this intruder comes at you, you have become the militia. I think we need to detoxify the definition because at bottom, it's members of the public doing good for the community, period. And like any other definition, you have those who are pro-social and those who are anti-social. We get to see the anti-social ones a lot. And incidentally, let me give you some examples of some anti-social militias. I'm going to be fair about it. On the left, we have the various cells of Antifa. On the left, we have violent members of Black Lives Matter. And I'll differentiate between them and people who just peacefully go to the marches, may be mistaken in some of their conclusions, but aren't out here destroying property and attacking police officers. You've got various groups of malcontents. You could call them, oh, that's right, our liberal friends say that they're rites of passage organizations. (laughs) They're known as street gangs. Yeah, that's what they're known as, yeah. Yeah, those could be considered negative militias. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Let me assert sure. this. Let me assert this while you while you while you're talking there. And I want you to form, I want you to formulate uh, your your continued response around this. When I look at uh, uh, people like David Duke and Al Sharpton, mm-hmm. even uh, Minister Farrakhan, and and uh, oh, say anybody else, Malcolm X, whatever. Uh, is there, uh, although although I hold Malcolm a little bit out of out of there because I have a different feeling sure. about Malcolm X than I do about uh, Farrakhan or um, uh, Sharpton or David Duke. I, I don't want to put Malcolm quite in that uh, in that mix. But are I those agree. three? Are those three? Uh, Duke, uh, Farrakhan, and 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 Sharpton? Are they actually the product of the same money? that is uh, designed to keep America uh, wedged apart? I mean, is there an active, uh, 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 let's say, movement of money that actually keeps that wedge in place? It's possible. I would love to see the receipts of somebody who funds Minister Farrakhan and David Duke. I mean, that would be a mind blower. But is there a concerted effort to pit Americans against each other? Yes, there is. And in this effort, do you use spokespersons of different colors, political and philosophical backgrounds to do so? I'd have to say, yes, you do. Absolutely. Now, the the ultimate authors of it, we can speculate, but we clearly see that there's a concerted effort to divide Americans. Is this uh, Biden regime that's come into office now, have are they or have they shown their true colors and what type of militias are going to be necessary for Americans to uh, show or speak, speak up with? Uh, are there militias that are going to need to be formulated? Talk to us. It is clear that Biden has shown his true colors and you just read each one of the executive orders flowing from this desk, you know, like manna from heaven. It's clear that he is prioritizing certain groups of Americans, in some cases, certain groups of non-Americans over Americans, and the types of militias, meaning 
peace-loving, advocacy-driven Americans would include groups like, and you might know of this one, Freedom Works. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Heritage Foundation. Yeah, know him well. Research Council. Know him well. The Woodson Center. L- love the guy. Had him on the show a couple of days ago. I mean, a couple oh, months wonderful, ago. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. You know, March for Life. This broad constellation yeah. of people of goodwill promoting and conserving traditional values at a time when traditional values are, to be quite honest with you, almost out of the door. Yeah. Yeah. And these next four years are going to be critical in the definition of America. And it's going to be groups like these and groups that are going to be born. And I have to throw in some more for our young people. Turning Point USA. Yeah, yeah, Charlie's a great guy. Young Americans for Liberty. Yeah. Y'all, we, we do a lot Foundation. with y'all. Yeah, Freedom Works does a lot with y'all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Prager Force. Yeah. Prager U. Love. Because absolutely, from the greatest generation, from the baby boomers to Generation X, yeah. to the millennials, to Generation Z, we have got to form coalitions and militia, if you will, of advocates who will preserve these traditions that actually create conditions where the best in people can come out. And let me tell you, if it was good enough for Booker T. Washington, if it was good enough for Frederick Douglass, if it was good enough for Thurgood Marshall, and if it was good enough for Malcolm X, it's good enough for me and you. I know you're right, man. You preach today, i got to tell you. Hey, listen, tell everybody how to, how to get a hold of you. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you. Absolutely. You. Uh-huh. American Cougar USA on Instagram and MeWe. That's American Cougar USA. Clawing back for freedom. Right by you. Hey, man, God bless and keep you. Continue to fight the good fight. Nadra Enzi, Captain Black, thank you so much for being on with me. I know you will because you are fighting the good fight, brother. Talk to you soon.